You're listening to the Converging Paths podcast, brought to you by Asia House and the Barakat Trust, with the support of the Altagir Trust and the Aga Khan Trust for Culture. Hello, everybody. This is Juan de Lara, cultural manager at Asia House. As you might have heard, the Victoria and Albert Museum in London is having a blockbuster exhibition devoted to Iran, from prehistory to modern times. The exhibition is the most ambitious review of this historical nation to date and will be on until September the 12th. For this, we have here with us Tim Stanley, who has been the co-curator of this epic Iran exhibition. Tim works in the Asian department at the Victoria and Albert Museum, where he is the senior curator for the Middle Eastern collection. His interests are specifically the Turkish and the Iranian world. Qurans and manuscripts, lacquer, arms and armors, alongside woodwork. He was particularly responsible of the part of the exhibition devoted to the Islamic period, and he's here to help us understand the challenges and rewards of putting together such grand show, and to better illustrate what the visitor might expect to see. Welcome team, it's a pleasure to have you here, and I think my first question for you is why has the Vine decided to do this exhibition now? What is the driving force behind it? Well, there were, you know, we have two partners in the um, exhibition. It's the in, the Iran Heritage Foundation, and they're our full partners. And that John Curtis, their uh, academic director, um, is the curator for the for the pre-Islamic section of the exhibition. Um, and in fact, uh, John um, and the IHF had been uh, looking to do uh, a major exhibition on Iran in London uh, for some time. And um, at the same time, the exhibition's done in association with the Sarikhani collection. So uh, the Sarikhani collection was keen to do um, uh, an exhibition where they showed uh, the strengths of their collection. Um, and uh, we are the uh, third, um, partner in this ex- in this exhibition and um, if you it does make sense in terms of uh, Victoria and Albert Museum because we show our Iranian art in um, as, as one component in uh, other in galleries which are devoted to other subjects so the main one of course is the the Jamil gallery the Islamic Middle East gallery and um, there we have objects like the Ardeville carpet and the Chelsea carpet and uh, you know, one, one of the, uh, these are part of the uh, a really amazing collection of Iranian art from the Islamic period, um, and this obviously gives us an opportunity to reframe the way that we look at, at the art of the Middle East by concentrating on one of the great traditions that are usually encompassed within that. And uh, by doing that, we by refocusing it from this is you know we won't be able to change the way that um, we deal with the, the, the world. Like, you know, for a very long time in the future, there will still be an Islamic Middle East gallery. But um, this is our opportunity to acknowledge the, the, the existence of, of a, a great Iranian collection within that um, broader category. Um, and we, uh, we are also able to participate with the IHF and the Sarikhani collection in creating something which hasn't been seen for 90 years, which is an attempt 
in an exhibition to show the complete uh, history of Iran. And you wouldn't necessarily need to do a, 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 a sort of overview exhibition in this way for other great traditions of Asia or Europe um, in the sense that, um, you know, an, an exhibition about Russia or China isn't necessary because people already have an idea that uh, a general idea about what those the strengths of those civilizations are. And um, that's not true. We think that's not true of Iran, that the way Iran's been treated in the past is to break it up and to diffuse um, the, the components in, in, uh, in a way that, that people don't have a, a well-grounded idea of how important Iran was and how long um, its uh, historical and artistic traditions have continued. So I think that's the reason why we need to do this. Uh, it hasn't been done since um, uh, 1931, so it's 90 years later. And the, what you have to tell about Iran has changed in that time because of um, uh, uh, the, you know, the better research. So, you know, I'm, I'm repeating what John Curtis has uh, drummed into me, that um, if uh, in 1931, we didn't know much at all about what happened in Iran before the rise of the Achaemenid dynasty in the middle of the sixth century BC. And um, in, since um, the 1960s, the excavations in Iran have brought to light uh, a, a, a rich civilization. That's it. So from the fourth millennium on, onwards, the Iranian plateau was the home of really uh, great civilization. And then from the end of the second millennium, you have the rise of, uh, which is a sort of a coherent, um, uh, almost uniform civilization that covers the whole plateau. Then uh, towards the end of the third, uh, second millennium, you have the arrival of people who we think were probably the Iranian speakers coming from the north. Um, and then after their arrival, you have the breakup of political authority, which you see in the fact that there are lots of centers producing different types of art. So all of that was unknown uh, in 1931. And it's, if it had been known, Iran would have been seen as important, as important as uh, the civilizations of the um, Fertile Crescent in Egypt and uh, Mesopotamia. And so this is, this is an attempt to open up um, an, a, a part of Iran's history to the British public by introducing the fact that there was something going on in Iran that was really quite important um, from, from the late fourth millennium BC onwards. At the other end, you have this, um, uh, the fact that in 1931, artistic production in Iran uh, was still in very much in the tradition of the 19th century. So um, in the exhibition, we've shown different sorts of things that are going on in the 20th century before the rise of what we, you know, modern and contemporary art. Um, and those are strongly based in traditions that, you, that, that were already operating in the 19th century. So the key thing was that um, the Faculty of Fine Arts opened uh, in Tehran uh, in 1941. And from that point onwards, uh, the, the people, uh, you know, artists began to be trained uh, 
in a um, in in a way that was uh, in tune with international movements, and um, this was the beginning of modern art. So, in fact, um, the one of the rooms in the exhibition is probably the first time that the twentieth century modern art of Iran has been shown um, on it as as a as a tradition that's worth taking note of. And you know, everybody knows that the the um, the way that uh, the modernism of the non-Western world, of you know, outside Europe and America, has has not been taken into account um, in the way that it should be. Um, you know, maybe this exhibition will be um, uh, a way of counteracting that. And of course, then you have um, after after the nineties. You have this extraordinary explosion of um, artistic production in Iran, and that's also included in the story. So it's it's also that the um, the the exhibition tells this story that's filled in at the uh, beginning and the end. But even for the periods such you know the Achaemenid period, the Parthian, the Sasanian period, and the Islamic period, there are new stories to tell. And um, I think in the in 1931. The way that uh, the curators of that exhibition looked at, say, Persian painting was to, it was completely formalist. In other words, they they said, "I like this painting because," without countering, without actually understanding why the painting was there in the first place. And I think that you know, there's been a lot of work done in, uh, especially since the seventies, which have really uh, changed the way we look at it, uh, uh, the art of the Islamic world. And um, in, partic in particular, you know, the, the painting in Persian manuscripts has been reconnected with the text that surrounds it. Um, you know, we, the, we understand the better the, way, the ways that um, inscriptions have been placed on objects and that sort of thing. So there are great things about um, uh, the changes that have taken place in our understanding of uh, the art of the Islamic period. And, um, of course, the other thing that the, the thing that that um, really uh, excited us about doing this exhibition is that it, it was a very it's a it's the final stage, a, a great stage in a in a developing story, which is that um, for a long time, I mean, the VNA is a very um, it's a wonderful institution. From the beginnings, it was it had a very a positive idea of the arts of. The whole Islamic world, and so, you know, we, we, we've acquired stuff from the 1850s onwards. Um, and in the 1890s, they introduced a system of departments. So you had curatorial departments. But um, and then over the 20th century, um, the, the way that um, the non-European uh, part of the story was um, told was it was that they they decided to create um, a Far Eastern department that's now called the East Asian department. Um, and they were going to create a Middle Eastern department. The very strange thing was in 2002, I came to the museum as one of the first curators who were specialists in the Middle East. And we created a Middle East section. Um, and before that, all of the Middle Eastern objects had actually been covered by the Europe, the sort of uh, uh, the materials-based department. So ceramics and glass from the Middle East was in the ceramics and glass department. And obviously we'd had um, people like Oliver Watson and uh, Robbie, uh, B.W. Robinson, 
uh, who are great specialists in uh, their fields. But we hadn't had this structural uh, um, feature, a group of people who were covering uh, this, this region. So in 2002, we were brought and then brought into being. And then in the, um, you know, we started to work on the collection and the, the first uh, products were the um, Palace and Moss exhibition and the, the, Jum, the Jamil Gallery, the Islamic Middle Eastern Gallery. And of course, since then, we've worked on other galleries, uh, you know, most notably the ceramics galleries. Um, but in, it, we've been working with the Iran Heritage Foundation to, um, in a positive way to, to highlight our collections, to create events that are related to them. And um, they, uh, they helped us create the curator post for um, the Iranian collection. And so we've been doing that now for 12 years. We've had a, a dedicated collector for the a curator for the Iranian collection. And in that process, we've, I mean, it, it might, you know, it seems surprising that a, one of the uh, country's most important museums actually didn't have um, specialists studying this large part of its collection and that we've discovered things. Um, you know, so that there are lots of things in the exhibition which we um, uh, found in different collections within the museum that, that have not been shown uh, for a very long time. And so um, th this was an opportunity for, for me uh, and um, for Sarah Piram, who's the current uh, curator of the Iranian collection, to work on uh, bringing these uh, um, these finds, as it were, within our own collection to the public. And, um, you know, I should say that uh, Moya Carey, who was previously the Iran collector, uh, curator, did a lot of this the work that we're now benefiting from. So this has been the opportunity to show things like the, the huge one-for-one -one, uh, paintings of the tile work of Isfahan, for example, which um, we haven't, um, we have no information that it was, these were ever shown during the 20th century. We're not quite sure whether they were shown or where they were shown in the 19th century, but we acquired those in 1877. And now we're, we're making, uh, you know, we've made a, an effort to show four of these huge paintings in this exhibition. And that's just one of the uh, of, uh, many uh, parts of our collection that we've been able to, um, after you know, all this work, we've been able to show it uh, in, an, uh, in a relatively informed way. So we know what the things are, we know where, why they were brought to the museum, etc., and we can tell the public about it. So it's been an opportunity to, ex to um, expose parts of our collection to public view that have been hidden for a very long time. Thank you, Tim. And I am very interested by the fact that you are presenting the exhibition in a different way to that of 1931, by including prehistory and ancient times. And I wonder what elements came to the fore by contrasting the most ancient and the newest production, considering the contemporary section of the show. When, when you're going to do a, a show like this, you have, to, you have to come to terms with the fact that you're telling 5,000 years of uh, uh, history in a relatively small number of objects, you know, 300, maybe 350, um, counting objects is always quite difficult. So you, you're going to have to be very selective. And um, obviously one of the things you would hope to bring out is the, if there are continuities, 
but you also have to take a, uh, account of the fact that, that um, there are great changes over this period. And, um, you know, um, you get the Achaemenids, but then you get Alexander the Great. Uh, you get Zoroastrian as an official religion of Iran, but then it changes to Islam. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's always going to be an exhibition that um, has very different things in it. And, that, and I think that's, you know, in talking to my colleagues within the exhibition, uh, within the exhibitions department, they say, you know, it's amazing. There are just so many different types of objects in this exhibition. Um, but the, the idea that these all form part of a concatenation of events, you know, that produce these objects, um, to some extent has to be taken on trust, you know, that, that, that the curators see this as um, part of a single story. And we try to bring out the, um, the way that uh, the, the, the different um, traditions are linked. So what, what, you, you know, what, you're, what we're trying to do is to represent something. Oh, so I, when I say take it on trust, I mean, people in Iran don't have any problem about the fact that this, you know, that most, this is their heritage. They may have sort of problems with bits of it because they, you know, from their own point of view, they think some parts are more important than others. But they acknowledge that, that, that this 5,000 year history belongs to them. And so um, you're trying to get the, uh, the visitor to look at it in the same way. And especially, you know, for, for the um, antiquities, it's, it's not so difficult, I think, because from um, everything happens in the Iranian plateau and, uh, and neighboring areas. And uh, you have, you know, eventually have the creation of an Achaemenid empire, um, a Parthian empire and a Sasanian empire. And those are um, states which um, we, we recognize quite readily as being Iran. I mean, the Sasanians called them, themselves the, the kings of Iran. So it's not, it's not unclear there. And um, so that's uh, a, a great tradition called Iran that goes up to the middle of the seventh century. And then from the 16th century onwards, you have uh, somewhere which is called Iran and is recognized as Iran or Persia, but um, uh, you know, on the instructions of uh, Reza Shah, we, we call it Iran now. And uh, those, are, are, those two parts are linked by a great a, a period in which Iran does not necessarily exist, exist politically, um, but, when, but where an Iranian tradition thrives and uh, it becomes greater than Iran itself in many cases, as in the use of Persian as a literary language, all the way from uh, Anatolia to Bengal. And um, so that's a, that's a sort of complicated uh, reshaping of what uh, Iranian civilization was in the Middle, e Middle Ages. Um, it became something different, but it survived uh, so that the, you know, just basically the Sasanian Empire had an official language, which is very similar to the official language of the Safavid Empire. Um, and so it's through those sorts of uh, traditions that we want to, we were able to demonstrate the story. Um, and what, so what is, so, what is characteristic 
of the modern and contemporary period is that the, that the artists who are creating the works of that period are aware of all that's gone on before. And, um, you know, they, um, artists of that, um, those periods, sometimes they choose to uh, use um, ideas from that great history in their own art, but um, other artists don't. So there, there's, a, there's, a there's a different relationship among different types of practice to the past. But you can say that all of the artists in the nineteenth uh, and twenty, oh, sorry, the twentieth and twenty-first centuries, um, had a very strong idea of where they came from, and that's what we're, in a way, that's what we're trying to explain. Why, you know, these people who are both artists and you know the rest of the population in Iran and people in the diaspora have a very strong sense of who they are and where they came from, and we're trying to say where that is. And it seems also to me that one of the most important elements that evidence continuity is actually poetry. One of the sections that I curated is called Literary Excellence, and it's actually um, celebrating the importance of uh, Persian poetry. Um, so, of course, it's an art show, so you, you can't just have an Iranian standing there speaking the poetry that they know by heart. But that is a key um, aspect of um, uh, Iranian behavior that is different from every, you know, almost everybody else. And um, so poetry is very, very important. So what we try to do is to, ha to have a display that shows um, how, I mean, the main form of painting in Iran is the illustration of books, I mean, historically. And um, so we, we try to show how poetry generates the painting, but also how poetry appears on objects and how the, the, rela the relationship, it's as, I mean, to an extent, it's as though people were speaking the poetry as we know they were, and it's sort of um, distilled onto the objects. And also, I think that, that we, we, we're a little bit more out and on a limb. We've tried to say that the, the way that lyrical poetry in particular is constructed with the, as a series of couplets that are not that unlike in narrative poetry, where you know there are a series of couplets, but the content um, has a, a strong thread going to, through it. So it's deliver the poet is delivering to you a story. In the lyrical poets poetry, the the couplets stand, can stand on their own in most cases, and so even you know you you read uh, in if you read in manuscript the poems which have been given a, pan, a canonical form by the production of printed editions of poets, where someone has tried to work out what the original form of the poem was. But when you look on the, the, the um, historical manuscripts of, of different poems, they, the couplets are inclined to move about within the poem because it doesn't make a great deal of difference. So um, that structure, is, is so, I mean, poetry is so important to Iranians that um, we see that the, some of the structure of art forms can be related to that. So that's, what, that's one of the themes of the exhibition. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, uh, it so happens that the, the poetry of the Parthian and Sasanian periods, which we know is very important, um, you know, has, hasn't survived very well. Uh, partly because it was a very strong oral tradition. Um, but in the, uh, as soon as Persian became 
um, court uh, language um, again after the Iranian, after the Islamic conquest. So we're talking about the ninth, especially the tenth centuries. Then um, you know they became the custom to write down the poetry uh, in the Arabic script, and that has given us a millennial tradition of poetry, which is absolutely um, a continue continuum of ideas of language, of um, metaphors, all sorts of things. So that, that is, in historical terms, it's also a very, a very strong tradition. Thank you, Tim. I think that it's also important to give a bit of background to our listeners. And there has been issues defining Islamic art as a concept. This is a very spiky issue in academia. And there has been attempts to replace Islamic art for the word Persianate. And I wanted to ask you if you could explain a little bit more about this term and what it stands for. You know, Islamic art is a... It's a strange term, um, but it's. Uh, I think that it has. It, you know that the. I. One of one of the things is that people try to are trying to replace it, um, as though it was the God given right, especially of Americans, but also Europeans, to like we gave it the name in the first place, and now apparently we have the right to change it. And I, I actually don't think that's any of our business. I mean. You know, in in the period of, period of uh, uh, rampant imperialism of the centered in Europe, uh, is, Islamic art was eventually adopted about 1900. But that doesn't mean that we should. It's now up to us to change it. And you know, Islamic art has been adopted as a term by many um, countries which uh, who see it as their art. So we just have to live with it, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and of course, one of these, um, these the innovations is to use this term Persianate. And of course, the, the per, there's nothing wrong with this term because it does describe something. I was talking about the um, uh, in the Middle Ages, you have this literary culture that spreads from uh, Anatolia, where you know in the 13th century, Jalaluddin Rumi wrote the greatest religious poem in Persian, um, and it continues so that you at about the same time you've got Amir Khosrow Dehlavi. Uh, writing great poems in Persian in Delhi, so Persianate describes that quite well because it's not it's it's not an Iranian tradition uh, in those countries, but it is a Persianate tradition in the sense that it's uh, uh, you know that, that um, Ottoman and other forms of Turkish uh, culture in Anatolia and beyond were very very strong uh, strongly uh, inf- like first of all they were part of Persianate culture because they were using Persian, and then it's very strong. And, in, and so to inquire into that, you need a term such as Persianate. But actually, in a museum, you can't use words like Persianate because no one knows what they mean. You know, we, we have to be uh, we have to be behind uh, in terms of we are our, our dialogue uh, is not with other specialists, so we have to be quite um, careful about it. But the issue about the nature of uh, Islamic art and Iran's place in it. Uh, is something that we examine in the um, in the exhibition to a degree. I mean, we don't, we're not, we're, not, we're trying to show that there is uh, an a re- Iranian locus within the in the Middle Ages. Um, it's a sort of something that you know is often based on the Iranian in on the Persian language. For example, the um, one of the great paintings that is in the exhibition. Um, is one of the paintings in the 1396 copy of uh, Khojou Kermoni, 
which is in the British Library. Um, the, you know, you can't really not see that as an important work of Persian painting. But of course, it was produced in Baghdad. So that's not part of Iran today. So, you, you know, you have, we have to be quite, uh, the, the, the borders of this Iran did, that, did change. They're, they're generally in the same area. One of the interesting things about Persian art when compared to other regions is that Persian art appears to have endorsed their pre-Islamic time. Could you perhaps give us a little bit of information about this? Absolutely, and I, this is uh, something that I was uh, meaning to say, because, you know, in terms of um, uh, showing continuity, um, the way we looked at the exhibition um, was that uh, John Curtis was, you know, his basically a chronological sequence. So uh, we wanted to show that the people that sort of, in a, in a sense, Iran's history as a country or a state sort of um, takes a break between uh, the seventh century and um, the end of the 15th century, but it continues. And during that period, people had a very strong idea of the fact that there had been a pre-Islamic Iran. And um, so what we've done is that when you come to the end of the Sasanian period, uh, you see a display of um, manuscripts and manuscript paintings from the Shahnameh to show that um, Iranians in the Middle Ages and now, up to now, actually know who they were in part through the fact that they have a national epic which was created in um, uh, the, the far northeast of Iran, of the Iranian world, I should say, um, in the 10th and um, early 11th century by Ferdowsi, as you say. So this, this the story of how um, Iranian uh, identity was preserved and how the Persian language developed is, uh, is sort of present in that first section on the, um, Islamics, in the Islamic world. And of course, that's a very, uh, it's an amazing um, story because uh, in the, during the Arab conquest of Iran, um, you had this concentration of Persian speakers happening in Central Asia in, around, uh, you know, what's now uh, Uzbekistan. Um, there were people who, even if they were Arab in origin, were using Persian as a lingua franca. And so you're, you're at, you, Persian has moved to a country, um, Sogd, uh, where, they, where Persian was another Iranian language was spoken by the local population, that because of the Arab invasion, uh, a large number of um, Persian speakers gathered there. Because we, we don't quite know how that happened, but obviously there were some people migrated in front of the Arab invasion and other people um, arrived with the, with the Arab invaders. But certainly there, Persian became the, the lingua franca and they developed into the court language under the Samanids and um, their contemporaries uh, elsewhere in that region. And um, that's where the, um, the Dari language first developed at court. And uh, Feridosi sort of pro produced a translation back into Persian of the Sasanian histories uh, and legends that uh, were preserved in Middle Persian and uh, Arabic. And so that, that, uh, that is a really important stage in both the literary history of Iran, but also in understanding 
how Iranians know about who they are. And um, so uh, it's, it's only after, after, the, uh, the, after the summation of the history of pre-Islamic Iran that you then move on to consider uh, a section which is on the coming of Islam, but in which uh, the rival idea of history, the one that's con that concentrates on uh, the, the history of the prophets uh, ending with Muhammad, and then the history of the, the successes to Muhammad uh, plays a role. And of course, what we're able to show is illustrated manuscripts from texts which uh, celebrate the Islamic idea of history. And maybe, you know, in, I, I hope that in the, we have a display in Arms and Armour, where I hope that it's clear that by the early 19th century, these the, the two were fused into um, uh, an identity of Imami Shiite uh, rulers who were also aware of their place in history and how they aspired to be the equals of the heroes of the Shahnameh. Throughout our interview, you have mentioned a lot the concept of Iranian identity. So let's get us ourselves to the 21st century where we have all these ingredients, historicity, poetry, painting, a language. How is contemporary art, the new generation of artists, reacting to their past? What's this deep sense of identity and how do they contribute to this ever-evolving tradition? Well, you know, there, it, um, the, the, the variety of what, um, you know, because in, in, in the... In the 20th century, in the second half of the 20th century, you have uh, a sort of international modernism coming to Iran. And um, you have very, uh, very creative artists who are very specific to, um, I mean, they, what I mean is that they, they become modernists uh, in a fully integrated sense. Um, but some of them do that by looking back at um, Iranian history. So, you know, the, the way we usually sum this up is by referring to the Sakokhone school of, um, of Iranian artists. So uh, as well as, well as, as, well as um, full-blooded international modernism, you also get an, uh, a very interesting and diverse group of um, artists who are reacting consciously as part of their um, artistic Uh, production process is this engagement with the past. And, um, you know, the, when, when you have a great artistic tradition, it's not surprise, surprising that people um, uh, sort of want, want to introduce content uh, at, of, to their art that actually reflects that. Iranian past is incredibly diverse. And so the reactions to it are uh, equally diverse. And um, It's also, you know, engaged with things that are happening now. So, I mean, uh, in terms of uh, calligraphy, you know, you, you have a painter like Ahsai. I mean, he's an artist, I should say. We have a painting in the, in the exhibition who no, understand um, the calligraphic tradition of Iran extremely well and produce uh, these paintings, which are very, they're, they're, they do, they actually honor this great tradition and turn it into something um, which is really um, uh, impressive. Uh, so, I mean, it is an it's extraordinary um, diversity of um, extremely diverse set of reactions. So my last question would be, what would you like the visitor to feel when they leave the Epping? 
the epic Iran exhibition space? I suppose the, the, the you know, there's one main thing that we want people to understand, which is that um, Iran represents one of the great um, civilizations of Asia. And it's, um, that, that, you know, they, that they might, uh, they might have come in a, with an, uh, an idea that of Iran. I mean, you know, we, well, there are lots of people in Britain who do know uh, about Iran, and they 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 have been. We, we can tell from you know a very res, uh, enthusiastic expon, uh, response in many ways. But um, you know that we hope that we've shown that there is a thread, and. Um, that the uh, the way that Iran's treat been treated in museums and um, studies, you know, th there's a very infrequent that you have an overlap between people studying um, uh, the uh, antiquity and people understand and studying the the Islamic period. So there's a there's a sort of caesura break between them, and um, you know, it's not the story isn't usually carried on uh, as a as a single organized set of ideas into the contemporary. So, I mean, that, I, I, would, I would love it if people understood that this, um, that, you know, Iran is one of the great civilizations of Asia, basically. Um, and I, I would hope too that they, uh, they would have enjoyed um, the diversity of materials that they've seen. Um, many different types of stories we've been able to tell. And um, there's, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's, well, that's probably the, the main thing. Thank you so much, Tim. It has been wonderful to have you here today with us. Thank you, too. And I look forward to seeing you in London. And obviously, I remind all our listeners that the exhibition is open until September the 12th at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London. Thank you very much again, and I look forward to seeing you for the next episode of Converging Paths. And until then, stay well and stay safe.